But when you read the Bible, you realize there's only two roads. There's not a whole lot of alternatives. In fact, there are no alternatives. You're either on one road or the other. You're either on the road of destruction or you're on the road to salvation. You're on a road that leads to eternal life in heaven or you're on a road that leads to eternal life in hell. No alternatives. You would think that would be pretty easy. But sometimes we make it difficult. Two different roads, two very different destinations. In fact, Jesus talks, he refers to these roads in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Let me put it up for you. He says, enter by the narrow gate. It's an imperative. For the gate is wide and the way or the road is easy that leads to destruction. One road leads to destruction. And those who enter it are, by it are many. For the gate, the other gate, is narrow and the way is hard or the road is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. Two roads. One to destruction. One to salvation. One to eternal life. The other to destruction. So here's a question. What road are you on? What path are you taking? Now, when you get to Isaiah 35... You really have to look at it in the context of 34, and really chapters 1 through 34, because when you get to Isaiah chapter 35, it's all of a sudden this bright spot in the, of a lot of, in the midst of a lot of darkness. In fact, the first 34 chapters of Isaiah speak of a destruction for those that continue in rebellion and sin against God. In fact, you'll see that as you go. And every once in a while, you get this glimmer of light. In fact, it's interesting. As you read Isaiah, they call it the fifth gospel. Because in Isaiah, you have 66 books, or 66 chapters. The Bible has how many books? 66. 39 in the Old Testament. 27 in the New Testament. Well, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah is really about judgment, but it speaks of a Messiah to come. And as you read the Old Testament, that's what you get, but the New Testament, we learn about that Messiah who's come, and that's what you see in chapters 40 through 66. But once again, you look at chapter 34 and you see this picture of destruction, but in chapter 35. You see salvation. You see the hope. In fact, in chapter 34, you see such words as enraged, furious, destruction, slaughter, stench, sword, blood, pitch, sulfur, smoke, waste, confusion, emptiness, thorns, thistles, nettles. Encouraged? But you get to chapter 35 and you see these words. And you see, uh, you see glad, rejoice. Blossom, glory, majesty, strengthen, strong, save, leap, sing, joy, streams, ransomed, singing, gladness, and everlasting joy. What's the difference between those two chapters? Chapter 34 shows us what will become of those that continue in their rebellion against God. 
while 35 shows us what will become of those who are on the road that believe in the promise coming in the salvation of Jesus Christ. So here's the big idea of this message today. I'll put it on the screen. True joy, real joy, comes from knowing you've been saved by the Lord and are on the highway to heaven. Which is a highway of joy. True joy. It comes from knowing a deep-seated understanding because your faith in Jesus Christ. That you've been saved by the Lord and are on the highway to heaven. That would be a great name for a song, right? It's a highway of joy. Now, as we look at chapter 35, similar to what we saw last week. This is a chiasm, and a chiasm is a structure of poetry. And chiasms are meant to kind of point you to the main focus of the passage. Let me put up the chiasm. I didn't put the main points, but you see this chiasm. You've got A, B, C, and then B, A. And it kind of points you to what is the main focus. And the main focus is that Advent is cause for you to rejoice. So I'm going to just kind of go through the text, and we're going to look at it. And so today we want to ask the question, what do we learn about Advent from this chapter? First of all, Advent turns your desert days into days that blossom. Advent turns your desert days into days that blossom. Now you read verse 1 of chapter 35. It says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Now notice those two first couple of words. The wilderness, the dry land. Then you see the desert. That speaks of what it was just being talked about in chapter 34. But something's going to change. The wilderness, this dry, parched land is going to have a transformation. And what you see starting in chapter chapter 35, verse 1 and 2, is you see that God starts this renewing work of grace in the desert of our lives. Parched land becomes rich land. Dry areas become fertile areas. The desolate wilderness turns into this beautiful garden. See, in Christ we are transformed. Our hearts of stone are are turned into hearts of flesh. See, in contrast to God's devastation because of judgment, you see the the joy of salvation is evidenced by this string of verbs. Be glad. Rejoice. Blossom. And then those verbs become intensified in verse 2. They blossom abundantly. They, they rejoice with joy and singing. Why? Verse 2 tells us. They shall see the glory of the Lord. The majesty of our God. See, Isaiah is giving us a picture of someone's heart that's been transformed by the gospel. That God will bring beauty out of ashes. That, that, that he saves those who have been, save those that are facing destruction. 
Now, when we look at this passage, there's really three epics or three times that he's referring to. If you remember, Isaiah is written during the time when the nation of Israel was in captivity for 70 years. This is about, this is about 729 B.C. They're in captivity. And Isaiah is speaking to this nation that is in captivity for 70 years. I mean, think about it. Some of us think about 2020 was a really rough year. Weren't we glad to be out of 2020 thinking 2021 is going to be a great year? Now we're looking forward to 2022. Think about 70 years of that. 70, 70. But something's going to change. So Isaiah was, was helping them to look up in the midst of this devastation. So this is written to those that knowing that they were going to be, they were going to return from captivity back into the promised land. And we see that in Ezra and we see it in Nehemiah. But it also points to a coming Messiah that we know would be 700 years in the future, the first advent. But it looks beyond that even to the second coming. You see all of that in Isaiah. And it will be clear that all of this fruitfulness that will come is a result of the Lord. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Listen, it's a reminder to be encouraged that Advent turns your desert, desert days into days that blossom. But secondly, we learn this. Advent reminds you to encourage one another. In fact, it's one of the one another commands in the Bible that we see in the New Testament to encourage one another. Now, we know that the, the consequences of sin weighs us down. It leaves us weak. It causes us to be feeble. But look at Isaiah's exhortation in verses 3 and 4. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your, come, your, your, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. This is a picture of the church encouraging one another, holding up one another's arms. Imagine if you knew that you were facing God's wrath, his judgment, and it was coming in the days ahead. That would crush anyone. But the coming of the Lord is cause for strength. For firmness, for hope. That's why he says, strengthen the weak hands and make, make, make it firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. In fact, we see that language in the New Testament. We see it in Hebrews chapter 12. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, it's a section versus starting in verse 5. The fact that, that God disciplines those he loves, like a father disciplines his son. But then he says this in verse 11. He says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. How many of you can testify to that? Like, I love to be disciplined, don't you? 
No. But later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now think about this. The nation of Israel is in captivity in Babylon. Why? Because they're ongoing rebellion against God. God is disciplining his people. And it's not pleasant at the moment. But later it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Then he says, therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. See, Isaiah is reminding them, listen, a greater day is coming. Salvation. Encourage one another with that truth. This is the church. And it's what we're called to do for one another. Encouragement should be the attitude of all Christians. Paul, in fact, Paul exhorts us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to, to encourage one another regarding our salvation. Notice what it says. For the Lord himself, this is speaking of the second coming, the second advent. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Looking for that day. With the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Those that have died, that are in Christ, will rise. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And he says, therefore, do what? Encourage one another with these words. See, Isaiah is saying, listen, you're in captivity. It's all a result of your sin. He says, I want you to encourage one another, strengthen one another. Why? Because the Lord is coming again. And your current condition says nothing about your future condition. Let me ask you something. Do you know people with anxious hearts? Struggling hearts? Encourage them. Remind them not to put their hope in man, but to put their hope in God. Encourage them. The fact is, when you have hope, you're strengthened. Your fear moves to faith. Your anxiety retreats. And we see that the source of hope and peace and joy is found in this. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He will come and, make, he will come and avenge sin. He will, he will come uh, with repentance of God. He will come and he will make amends. But notice this. It says, he will come and save you. He, God, will send his son. He will come and save you. He will come and save you. It's not a question. He will come and save you. It's the advent. Not only will he come, but he will come and save you. He will come and save you. Why? Because you need saving in your sins. You've been separated from God. You're, you're facing destruction. He will come and save you. But most importantly, he will come and save you. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem man from himself. Encourage one another with these truths. 
Isaiah is calling us to create an atmosphere of expectancy. See, it's the first advent that reminds us of the second advent. Encourage one another with that truth. Third, we learn. Advent is a cause for you to rejoice. It's, it's, a, it's a cause for you to rejoice. See, at his coming, he gives you eyes to see and ears to hear. Look at verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. At his coming... The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. Not only will there be physical healing, but that physical healing points to something more important. Spiritual healing. In fact, you see that with Jesus. The pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. He told the man. Take up your bed and walk. See, that physical healing speaks of a spiritual healing that took place. Even in John chapter 8, Jesus says, who is here to condemn you? And she says, no one. He says, neither do I uh, condemn you. Now go and sin no more. See, there's this, this change that takes place in the heart as a result of God's work. And sometimes it's that physical healing that points to a greater healing and that's our spiritual healing, much more important. Fact is, God came into this world to heal us, not physically. There will be an ultimate physical healing, but to heal us spiritually. Now notice what it says in, back in verse 4. It says, he will come and save you. How do we know that Jesus has truly come? Well, that was a question that John the Baptist's disciple, that John the Baptist was asking. So he sent one of his disciples to Jesus. And, and the question he asked is, are you the one that was to come? Look what Jesus answered in Luke chapter 7. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind received their sight. See, Jesus is pointing back to Isaiah 35. The blind received their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And you're not offended by me because you have received me. See, it's those that receive him that receive eternal life. This passage here is a reminder that it is the Lord that opens up our eyes to salvation. It's a reminder that he gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. But the fact is we're also reminded that we must embrace that truth. See, we believe that God is the one who saves. God is the author of salvation. But salvation doesn't happen apart from our putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is through his life, his death, his burial and resurrection that we are saved. We must put our faith in that. And the fact is, the road that we're on is a function of if we put our faith and trust in Jesus or not. Let me ask you, have you embraced Jesus by faith? The Bible says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, be reconciled to God. 
It's an imperative. Be reconciled. Why? Because that's the only way you can have salvation is by trusting in him. See, it's the coming of the Lord that brings us true joy, deep-seated joy, not a joy that's based on our circumstances, but based on knowing that our salvation is secure. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said. He says this. He says, God's creation will rejoice when it's set free from the bondage of sin. And see, it's, it's knowing that we are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. That there's joy, we've been set free. So, the reality is, there are going to be times when we don't feel joy. Can anybody here testify that? Like, I know Jesus, but I don't feel joy. You might feel weighted down or depressed. But Jesus doesn't say, well, you just have to try harder. Or you just need to get over yourself. That would be crushing. What does he say? Come to me. He says, I'm here for you. You're not walking alone. I'll be with you on this journey. In fact, Psalm 35, verse 5 says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Listen to what the psalmist says in, in, in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice it's a, it's not, you're not remaining in it, but you're walking through it. He says, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You're not going through it alone. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the gospel. The fact is, we live in a fallen world. Not everything is right. In fact, it's not right. But there will be a day when all things are made right. All things will be made new. But in the interim, Jesus walks with you. You don't have to go through this time alone. He says, I will be with you. I mean, in, in, you, you read a couple times with Paul where he says, the Lord stood by me. He wasn't alone. The fact is, he's with you. He's for you. He loves you. And that's reason to rejoice. He causes the tongue of the mute to sing for joy. Notice that. The, the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. The Advent reminds us that we are to rejoice. He's a God of second chances. I love that. He gives us grace when we don't deserve grace. He gives us mercy when we don't deserve mercy. And that's really redundant. He gives us forgiveness when we don't, we don't deserve forgiveness. How many of you besides me blew it last week? You just kind of blew it. Or like even this morning. The fact is we all do. And we all will again. But Jesus came and died for our sins. 
We don't have to wallow in that. We just need to confess it. Knowing 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We just take that truth and now we move forward. And we rejoice that Jesus came to cover our sins, past, present, and future. Advent is a cause for you to rejoice. Fourth, Advent is a reminder that God can do the impossible. When we think of the coming of Jesus Christ, it reminds us that he can do the impossible. Now, do you ever feel like you live in a proverbial desert? Yeah, I know. We live in a desert, right? But where you are spiritually parched, dry, needing to be refreshed. Isaiah is reminding us now in these following verses that in Christ, he'll renew you. He'll do the impossible. Look at, look at verse 6 again. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool. And the thirsty ground springs of water in the haunt of jackals where they lie. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. So this, this desert becomes these flowing streams of water. These, these places that were just parched land, all of a sudden there's reeds and, and, and there's, there's rushes that only take place where there's abundant water. This is God breaking do, through, no matter how difficult the circumstance, and changing your situation. See, God can break through, no matter how impossible the situation, he can break through, he can break forth in the wilderness, he can bring beauty out of ashes, streams in the desert. See, there's times where we think the situation I'm in is impossible, and yeah, in our eyes, it might be. But God is the God of possible. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 7. Look what he says. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, because you're dry, you're spiritually dry. He says, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of flowing waters. See, it is in Christ that our desert turns to streams of flowing water. Come to him and drink. And out of your heart will flow streams of living water. Advent reminds you that God can do the impossible. But finally, God reminds you that Advent is your on-ramp to the highway of joy. Advent is your reminder that, uh, is, is a reminder that, uh, that Advent is your on-ramp to the highway of joy. Now, it is through the first Advent that we are given access to what Isaiah talks about as the highway of holiness. Look at verse 8. And a highway shall be there. This is all going back to verse 4. 
he will come and save you. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they are fools. They shall not go astray. Listen. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no way to get on that highway. There's two roads. We are automatically on the road to destruction. There's a road to salvation. But there's only one on-ramp, and that is through Jesus Christ. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the, the way of holiness. How can we become holy? We can't, apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, when God looks at us right now, he sees our sin. But when Jesus died on the cross and was raised... He took the penalty for our sin. So now at the cross, for those of us that have received Christ, we've now received the perfect righteousness of Christ. We are now seen as holy by God. Yes, we still have sin, but we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean, those that haven't been saved, shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. This is interesting. Even if they are fools, they cannot go astray. See, once you're in Christ, your salvation is secure. And if you blow it, it doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. You're just kind of being foolish. But once you're on the highway to holiness, you're on it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Your salvation is secure. It's a safe place. Look what it, verse 9 says. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come on, upon it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. Those have been saved. Isn't that, a, just like, isn't that an amazing verse? This highway, this highway of holiness that takes us to salvation, to eternal life. No lions. No danger, just the redeemed. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlast, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. This is a picture of the fact that for those in captivity in Babylon, there's this highway that's going to take them back to the promised land. But it's also a picture of the first coming of Christ, the on-ramp to the highway. But it's also a picture for us being taken to the new Jerusalem. Fact is, this is an exclusive highway for those who've been redeemed by the Lord. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Notice it says, they shall obtain gladness. That's what it says in the ESV. But if you have the NIV, the New International Version, it's considered by many commentators to be more of what Isaiah intended. It says, gladness and joy will overtake them. 
They're on this highway, but knowing that they're on the highway of Zion, the highway to holiness, gladness and joy will overtake them. It'll wash over them like a wave. On the one hand, intense joy will overcome us, but on the other hand, our sadness and sighing will flee. I think most of us would love to live lives where we're happy. We want joy. But the fallen world has spoiled all of that. And God is saying, trust me. Trust me enough to follow me. And I will overwhelm you with, with an everlasting joy. I will cause your sighing and your sorrow to flee. See, it's the highway of holiness that leads to a highway of joy. We can't really have that joy unless we're on the right road. Lasting joy. Eternal joy. Spiritual joy. See, going back to the big idea, true joy comes from knowing that you've been saved by the Lord and you're on the highway to heaven, a highway of joy. Now, I thought about this this week. What if God just left us to ourselves? What if God doesn't intervene to save you from yourself? Isaiah chapter 34 would be the chapter of your life. It'd be the final chapter. What if you just left to yourself, to the desires of your heart, to your pride, to your envy, to your bitterness that eats away at you, maybe to... to the unforgiveness or anger or shame or even the lust of your heart. What if God doesn't save you? Isaiah 34 becomes your destination. But God wants to save you. Listen to what Ezekiel chapter 33, 11 says. Say to them, this is Ezekiel saying to the people, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? I have provided a way. I have provided an on-ramp to the highway of holiness. Why do you keep on this highway? Turn. Turn to the on-ramp that takes you the, on, to the highway of holiness, the highway of joy. The fact is God can save you. He's provided a way. He paid the price that you should have paid. In fact, he paid it all. He provided you an on-ramp. The fact is you must turn. You must return by faith, confessing your sins. Look, one last verse, 2 Peter 3. There were people that were saying, Okay, you're saying that the Lord is returning. Why hasn't he returned yet? I know some of us have asked that question. So Peter is answering that in his second letter. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow. I love that. Some of us think the Lord is slow. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. 
but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Repentance, once again, turning. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Two highways. A highway to destruction, a highway to salvation. What road are you on? I'm going to ask our worship team to come up here. And as they do, I want us to just take a moment to really consider what road are you on? Are you on the road that is described in Isaiah 34? A road of destruction. Or, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, are you on the highway to holiness? And if you're on the highway of ho- to holiness, do you really comprehend what that means? The joy that brings, knowing that your salvation is secure. See, it is the first advent that brings that joy. And it's looking forward to the second advent that gives us even greater joy, knowing that our sins have been paid for and we can have eternal life. Father, I pray right now for those that don't know you as Lord and Savior, and I pray right now they would turn from their sin and they would turn to you. Your word's very clear. That you're not slow as some consider slowness. But maybe you haven't returned because of one person here right now that needs to turn to you in faith. There's some, Lord, that may have been walking with you on this highway of holiness. They've not really been walking with you. And I pray right now, Lord, they would just confess that to you start walking in truth, start walking on this highway of holiness and joy. Father, let us as a church be a people so filled with joy because we know our salvation is secure. We know that you've redeemed us from chapter 34 and you've put us on this highway from chapter 35. Father, we thank you for Jesus who made it all possible. It's in Jesus' name I pray.